0: To the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. A few years ago, I got a job working at a grocery store called Ingalls. This was several years ago. See, recently, I just got married. Let's go. Your boy made it. <laughs> it's a miracle. But at that time, I had just started dating my now wife. And so I knew that, like, it's pretty lame to take girls out on dates with your parents' money. I'm going to just let y'all know it's pretty lame to take girls out on dates with your parents' money. Just wanted to speak to y'all directly. So I decided I've got to get a job. I've got to figure out a way to take her out on dates. So I got a job at Ingalls. And I was doing good. Man, I mean, I was on time. I was working hard. If you know me, I'm kind of the, the rule follower. And Jaron was maybe the kid that kind of, <laughs> kind of lived outside of the box, made up his own rules every now and then. But he, I was the rule follower. I wasn't much of a rebel. But while I was working at Ingalls, there were some people there, some employees who maybe didn't take their job as seriously as I had been. And so they kind of rubbed off on me, a little, some bad seeds. So I decided that I was going to be rebellious. So one night, I decided I don't care what the management thinks. I'm working till 11. It's 10.45 p.m. I've been standing on my feet all day. 90% of Anderson is asleep right now. Your boy is sitting down. I'm resting. And so I walk over, and like 10 feet from me, there's some rocking chairs there. And so I go, and I sit down in the rocking chairs, and I think I'm bad. I think I'm something because I'm sitting down on the job and getting away with it. So I'm just rocking in my chairs, and it probably didn't take a minute or two. And one of the assistant managers walks down and gives me that look like, what in this world do you think you're doing? And then she says it and says, what in this world do you think you're doing? And my response was, I don't know. And then she made me get back to my, my register, I actually thought everything was cool. I thought it ended then. Well, I came into work the next day, and they said that the the head manager needed to talk to me, and needless to say, he put the fear of God in me, okay? He blew me out and said, if you don't like this job, I can replace you. And I said, I'm sorry, sir. I will do better. I will never sit down again. (laughs) Kind of freaked me out there for a little bit. It's funny, though. I thought that I could get away with sitting down on the job. Church, I've come to you today because I'm a little bit worried about something. I'm worried that if Jesus stepped down right now from his heavenly offices and checked in on how we are doing, he would find that we are sitting down on the job. As we look at this scripture passage today, we realize Jesus came for a couple of things, but he also came to give us purpose. Jesus came to be our teacher, our shepherd, our shepherd. And he came to be our Savior. And in turn, he's come to make us students of his word. He's come to make us disciplers of disciples. And he's come to make us people who proclaim the good news of Jesus to sinners everywhere. But church, right now, I'm scared that we are no longer students of the word. But in fact, we've traded the good shepherd for binge watching Netflix and wasting time on Facebook. Church, I'm worried that God has called us to disciple younger Christians, and yet we've relegated that to the job of the professional pastors. And church, I'm worried that today God has called us to proclaim salvation to all people. And we haven't evangelized one time this year. But church, are we called to be caught sitting on the job, or are we called for more So I want you to look at the gospel of Mark today. We are looking at Mark chapter six. We're gonna start with verse 30. Mark chapter six, starting with verse 30. So here's kind of what's going on. Jesus has just given his disciples authority to proclaim the kingdom of God, to to proclaim repentance, and he's given them authority to cast out demons and to heal people. And so they've gone on this big kind of missionary, evangelizing journey, doing all of these crazy things, and then they've just shown up back to Jesus, and they are tired. I mean, they are very, very tired. So Jesus decides that he's going to be compassionate to them, nice to them, because they've been doing all this work, and he's going to get them to a desolate place where hopefully nobody can find them and they can just take a vacation. So let's pick up at verse 30. It says, then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Why? Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So what did he do? So he began to teach them many things. So Jesus shows up on the scene. He's trying to have a vacation with his boys. He's trying to relax, give them some time to rest, but these multitudes keep following them. And Jesus had the option to send them away. He could have kept running. They they could have found somewhere else, but Jesus decided to stop and to treat these people. Why? Because he had compassion on them. Because when he looked on them, they were like sheep without a shepherd. So the solution was to teach them. They were people who desperately needed a spiritual teacher. They needed him to direct them. I don't know if you know a whole lot about sheep. We're not around sheep a whole lot. But sheep are maybe not the most intellectual animals in the world. I'm going to say it plainly. They're dumb, okay? They need guidance. Sheep need a shepherd. They need somebody to poke and prod at them, to direct them and guide them and point them what to do and where to go. And as Jesus shows up on the scene, he sees a people who are spiritually lost and desperately need teaching and guidance and direction. Church, we've got to realize today that we desperately need Jesus to teach and to guide us in every area of our lives or we are lost. A few years ago, I was working a kid's camp in Malden, South Carolina, and Malden, as many of you know, is like 30 minutes away. Like, it's not a really difficult drive, so we're getting ready to drive back from Malden. And so it's me in middle school with a mop haircut. That's not important to the story. Anyways, it's Hannah Vernon. I know many of y'all know Hannah, and it's Elizabeth Plot. also came from our church. Many of y'all know Elizabeth. So if you know all three of us, you know that this is a recipe for disaster, okay? Like, this is not a good situation. So we get in the car, and we start driving home. Elizabeth's driving. Man, we're laughing and cutting up, and it's a great time. The kids' camp was so good. But we kind of notice that this 30-minute this drive is actually 45 minutes. And as we look up, we are nowhere near Anderson. Now, I don't know how she did it. I don't know where she went. I don't know if she subconsciously paid some tolls. I don't know what happened. But Elizabeth Plott had us heading towards Myrtle Beach. We were vacationing in Dirty Myrtle, baby. We were going. I don't know what happened. I don't know how we got there, but we were heading there. And that was at the time when nobody like had GPSs just on hand, like smartphones hadn't got there yet. So I'll pull out my little dinky flip phone and that's not helpful. They don't have anything. We don't have a map because who uses those anymore and we don't know what's going on. And so we are lost and we have nobody and nothing to point us back in the right direction. And finally, we kind of get our bearings. We look at some signs, you know, do what they did in the olden days, pay attention. And uh, we managed to get our way back home, okay? And what should have been a 30-minute drive became a two-hour drive. Wow. Church, here's what I've come to tell you today, that if Jesus is not presently teaching you and guiding you in your life, you are desperately and hopelessly lost. You are like a sheep who has gone astray. But Kyle, would you go ahead and throw up those statistics real quick? Here is why I'm so scared and why I'm so passionate today. According to LifeWay research, only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. 45%. Over 40% of the people attending read their Bible occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. And this is what's scary. Almost one in five churchgoers say they never read the Bible. Church, I am scared that we have thrown Christ's word, his guidance, and his teaching to the side as if we don't need it. But here's what I've come to tell you today, that if God's word is not in your life, if he is not shepherding you and teaching you, somebody or something else will influence you. See, the people in that wilderness, they had influences, but not the kind that Jesus liked. The Pharisees were the religious leaders, and they should have been leading God's people. Herod was king, and he should have been a leader and should have been an example, but he wasn't. See, the Pharisees, they claimed to be the teachers of God's word, but they did not point people to relationship, but only to the religion. They said if you do this, if you follow our man-made rules, if you check off the boxes, if you complete the task, then you and God are cool. You don't have to love him, look like him, show compassion, mercy, justice, any of that. Just do what we say and you're fine. Church, as we're located in Anderson, South Carolina, if you dismiss God's word, I am afraid that we will be pulled astray by maybe the most dominant religion in our area which is nominal, cultural, southern, check-off-the-box Christianity. And it's Jesus' word that page after page after page guides us and teaches us and says, I want you to have a relationship with me, to love me, to look like me, and walk in obedience. But if we are not careful, we will let the area and the culture that we live in pull us to a different religion that is not Christianity. But finally King Herod should have stepped up. Man, he should have been a leader, pointing the Jewish people towards God's way. But all he did was become an example of sin. See, Herod actually married his brother's wife. John the Baptist called him out on it. Literally the passage right before this story. And he was eventually beheaded for it. Herod was a sinful man and not a leader. I've come to tell you today that if you push Jesus' teachings aside, you will be pulled into a world of sin. We desperately need his guidance, or we will be weak and anemic Christians. Here's what Paul says to the Colossians. He's in the context of of people living right of sanctification. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, If you were raised with Christ, seek the things which are above. In verse 2, he says, set your mind on things that are above. In verse 5, he says, put to death your members which are on the earth for an occasion and cleanliness, passion. He eventually says, to put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Paul is in the context of living right. Has everybody got that? Colossians 3.16, after encouraging people to live for Jesus, listen to what Paul says. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in teaching and admonishing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Paul knew that if there was not a rich abundance in God's word in our lives, then we would never change. Dad has had the opportunity to work with pastors who have fallen, lost their ministries, fallen into sin. And the sad truth is that he says almost every story is the same. It always starts out with this. It all started when I quit praying and I quit reading the Bible. Church, I need you to listen to me today. Sheep, I need you to listen to me today. The moment that you disconnect yourself from the guidance of the good shepherd is the moment that you open up the door for wolves to attack. And us as the church has disconnected ourselves from God's word, but it's time to come back because Jesus showed up on the scene and recognized just how lost we would be if we didn't listen to his guidance day after day after day. And maybe you found yourself in this room and that sin habit is still there, but that Bible reading habit isn't. Maybe you've you've found yourself in this room and your parenting isn't going like you thought it would. Your marriage isn't going like you thought it would, but you're at church maybe once a month. There's a rich abundance of problems and sin, but there is a small amount of God's word in your life. Listen to me today. You need his guidance or you are lost. We are called to be students of the word, sheep to our good Shepherd. But the good news is that Jesus did not come just to teach us. He came to save us. Look what happens. It says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Verse 35. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups uh, on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks and hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So Jesus is done teaching. It's really late. The people desperately need something to eat. And instead of sending them off, Jesus decides that he would be the source of their food. It's interesting how the New Testament echoes the Old Testament all the time. If you've been coming to church a long time, maybe you remember the story of Moses and Exodus. Do you all know that story? And so God's people are trapped in Egypt in slavery. So what does God do? He sends a Moses, a shepherd, a guide, a teacher to lead them out of slavery. But once they get out there, they are in a wilderness, a deserted place, much like where Jesus is in this story, and they need food. So God rains down manna, which is bread from heaven. And here we see Jesus saying, I am that exact same God. I provided life and sustenance for your people all those years ago, and here I am to provide life and sustenance for you again. But Jesus did not come just to give us earthly food, but spiritual food. Jesus came to not just give us any kind of normal bread. He came to give us the bread of life. Listen to what Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 30, or chapter 6, verses 30 through 35. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform them that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus has come to fill us up and to satisfy us, not with earthly food and earthly things, but with a spiritual satisfaction that nothing can compare to. There are all kinds of things in our lives. There's all kinds of sins that we put in our lives, that maybe fill us up, but they never truly satisfy us. It's the only thing. It's the thing only Jesus can do. We recently went on a mission trip to Panama this summer. And so we were one day, we were tired, man, and and we had been running around all day and it was hot. And and they had some cooks actually from Panama who were so gracious and so kind to to cook for us. And so we came in that night and, and we looked. And for dinner, they had spaghetti, And then, of course, rice and beans. Now, that's an odd combination, but when you've been running around all day, you do not care, okay? And that thing was good, okay? So I filled up and was satisfied. I was feeling good after that food. Like, honestly, it was pretty good for dinner. Well, we do service, we do all kinds of stuff, and we get up in the morning, and they were so kind to feed us breakfast. So we walk in there, and what do you think they served us? (laughs) For breakfast that morning spaghetti and rice and beans now that meal was good the night before but there's just something about spaghetti and rice and beans that does not hit the spot at breakfast I am more of a Waffle House guy all-star special scrambled eggs with cheese hash brown bacon give me the waffle afterwards sometimes with chocolate chips and peanut butter on it (laughs) not spaghetti and rice and beans See, when I ate that, it filled me up like I had food that morning, but that meal did not satisfy me. Church, can we take a trip down memory lane before Jesus saved you? Think about all the things that you tried to fill your life with to satisfy you. You thought money could make you happy. So you did everything you could to make money. And once you got it, you realized it was never enough. You thought pleasure could make you happy, so you lived for the weekend, whatever drink, whatever substance, whatever relationship, whatever place, whatever person, whatever thing I could get involved in that would make me feel good, and yet in the end, you just hit rock bottom. Maybe you tried to find your satisfaction in a relationship and in a person, and then they walked out of your life, and you were left broken. There is a spiritual aching and craving in all of us that only the bread of life can fulfill and satisfy. But here's the good news, is that in our own sinful nature, we try to fill ourselves up with these things. But the Holy Spirit, the hound of heaven, came knocking on our door one day and said, You don't need any of this. You just need me. I am the bread of life. I'll forgive you of your sins. I'll take that away. I'll transform you and change you. I'll give you peace and joy and kindness and security like you have never known. Is anybody thankful for the work of Jesus? Jesus, that he's the bread of life, that he's saved you, that he's changed you. You don't have to go searching after anything else. You have found abundant and eternal life in him. I never get tired of talking about Jesus. Don't ever let that get normal. What he's done is amazing, dying on that cross and rising again so that you could be forgiven of your sins. He's so good. That's what Jesus came to do. But he also came to give us a purpose. I was reading it fast, and maybe you missed this. As Jesus is getting ready to feed the multitude, listen to what he says. He's getting prepared, and the disciples came to him were like, hey, we got to get them something to eat. In verse 37, but he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Jesus ultimately supplied it through his supernatural ability and his blessing. But what he really meant is take what you have and then distribute it. And it's funny that Jesus blessed it, but he made his disciples actually take the the loaves and the fish and disperse it among the people. See, Jesus was foreshadowing a time in which he would die and rise again and leave us on our own, but still with the power of the Holy Spirit to complete his mission. Jesus came to be teacher and Savior, but he looked at his disciples and said, You feed them. Church, I've come to let you know today That Jesus came to teach us and he wants us to be students of his word. But he wants us to be distributors of his word as well. I think for so long we've relegated discipleship to the professional pastors with Bible degrees. We've relegated discipleship to showing up on a Sunday morning and letting the pastor preach to you. And we never take care of anybody else. The discipleship of your kids is Pastor Amy's job. Pastor Evan is responsible for the middle school and high school students. And yet Jesus looked at his disciples, just regular fishermen, and said, you feed them. Church, I've come here today to tell you that it's part of our responsibility to model what Jesus did and to disciple disciples. Disciples. That it's not just on the professional pastors, but Jesus has called us to take responsibility and point one another towards who Jesus is and towards his work. To look for sheep who desperately need a shepherd and take them the words and the guidance of Jesus. So what are you doing today? Season Christians of the room. What younger people in this church can you take under your wing and tell them some stories about God's faithfulness? Some stories about God's goodness. Tell him about that miracle. Tell them about what he did that one time. Tell them about how he's affected your marriage. Seasoned Christians, what can you do to use your experience and God's faithfulness to point people towards Jesus? What can you do to find that young Christian at work that maybe you avoid? Maybe you don't even like that much. I don't know. And sit down with them and say, hey, can I tell you about what Jesus has done in my life? Can I direct you? Can I give you some pointers? Grandparents, can we take and make it our responsibility to speak to our grandchildren and point them towards Jesus whenever we get the chance? High school students, it's time to step up and get involved in in kids' church. Get involved in middle school ministry. They need somebody like you that they can look up to. And you can say, I've been there and I've done that. And this is what the Lord showed me. Church, it's time that we step up and we look for opportunities to point other people towards Jesus. He said, you feed them. But finally, we must also be distributors of the good news of Jesus that he came to save Sinners. But here's what I'm scared of is that many of us have been caught sitting down on the job. There's another Lifeway research study, and they, they interviewed people who go to church at least once a month. 80% of those people said that it was their job to spread the good news of Jesus. And yet 61% of them had not told a single soul how to become a Christian in the last six months. In that same study, almost half, 49% had not invited one person to church or a church event in the last six months. I believe it was 33% had invited one or two people and only 19% had invited three or more. Church, I'm afraid that Jesus has looked us square in the face and said, you feed him. And we said, no, Lord, we're going to go sit down on the job. Where's my rocking chair? Yet Jesus has called us to spread this wonderful good news that he is the bread of life. Man, you just walked down memory lane and clapped and shouted about how you were lost without Jesus, how life was bad without Jesus, how sin had you in the depths without Jesus, how sin had you heading towards death, and you're so thankful that Jesus stepped in and He saved you. Why have you not shared that news with somebody else? He looked at him, he said, You feed him. It's our calling to spread this good news of Jesus. How can you do it? I mean, you know the people at your job that need Jesus. You know the people that you sit beside at lunch break every day. I'm not saying you got to preach a sermon, that you got to yell, that you got to sweat and get a towel and a microphone. Like, you don't have to do all that. You don't need a Bible degree. you just got to sit down and say, hey, how's your soul? Can I tell you about what Jesus has done for me? It's just a text message away. Hey, I know we haven't talked in a while, but do you want to meet at Starbucks on a Tuesday at 7? I want to tell you about what Jesus has done for me. He healed me and saved me and put me back together again, and I think he can do something for you. It looks like getting out in the community and being intentional about pointing people towards Jesus. You may not know this, but we've got a group of young adults They go from our church every single Thursday, and they go to an apartment complex on the maybe not so nice side of town. We've been told by by police that it's actually one of the most, if not the most dangerous apartment complex in Anderson. And yet they use their time, put themselves at risk, use their gas, drive over there every Thursday, knocking on people's doors, going, can I tell you about the good news of Jesus? Church, if they can do it, you can do it too. He's called us to feed them. But church, can we just dream a little bit? I love dreaming. I was walking down here recently to do something, and I started talking to Gabe, and and, and we were just in here, and then we just started dreaming. Dreaming about what God can do through our church. Thinking about what he's already done, and what he still might do yet. Just in envisioning. Church, let's dream for a moment. Imagine if we filled our lives with God's Word. That that sin habit that you've had is gone in Jesus' name. That you fill your life with God's word and you get wisdom where you've desperately been needing it in that situation. That you fill your life with God's word and six months later, your marriage is a lot better than it used to be because you're modeling who Jesus is. You fill your life with God's word and all of a sudden your whole family's different. The kids listen more. You're a whole lot nicer. The word is changing you from the inside out like the Apostle Paul said it. Church, let's dream of the power of God's word to strengthen us and lift us up that we would not be wondering and lost, but focused and led by the good shepherd. Church, let's dream. Yeah. Let's dream that we make it our mission to disciple younger disciples. Let's dream of the people you have an influence on. When life gets bad and without you, they would have turned their back on Jesus, but they're standing firm in the midst of the storm because you decided to be there. Church, let's dream. Let's dream about the young men and women from your workplaces and your families and your community groups who go into ministry because you dare to foster the gift inside of them that they could not see. Let's dream. Let's dream of the missionaries that take the good news of Jesus to places it hasn't been because you decided to just reach out. Let's dream. Church, let's dream that we take up the mission of Jesus to spread this good news everywhere. Let's dream of your workplaces looking radically different, that the talks by the water cooler are all of a sudden about how good God is and how much he showed up in their lives. Let's dream. Let's dream about that aunt and uncle, that niece and that nephew that have walked away from God, but you've made it your mission to show them Jesus. And when everyone thought all hope is lost, they've come back to him. Let's dream. Let's dream about the change in our communities, that our communities would be fully and completely reached for Jesus, that elementary schools and middle schools and high schools and universities would be taken over by the good news of Jesus because you dared to talk to one person. Let's dream. Let's dream. And finally, let's dream about our church. Let's dream about every seat in this building being filled. Not because of flashy stuff, not because anybody's impressive, but because you just simply can't keep your mouth shut about the good news of Jesus. And everywhere you go and everybody you meet, you've got to testify of his good news. And we can't hold them in here. And we've got to go to three services and four services and five services. And I'm dead tired, but I'll do it anyways. we got to build a new building, not because of flashy stuff, but because Jesus is saving and transforming people through your obedience less dare to dream church this is the calling the message of Jesus so would you stand with me today here's what I'd like you to do with everybody in the room just make your way down to the altar if you're physically able dad likes to say all the time that the the altars where man meets with God and just for the next couple of minutes we're going to meet with God and I don't know what you need to pray to him about but whatever areas you've been sitting down on the job it's time to make a commitment it's time to say Jesus I know what you've called me to do and I'm going to do it If you've put your Bible aside, I want you to make a commitment today that says, Lord, I'm getting in your word because I'm hopelessly lost without it. If you've left discipleship up to the professional pastor, say, Lord, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm finding somebody. I'm finding three people and I'm going to teach them about Jesus. And Finally, make that commitment that says, Lord, you've commanded us to go and to tell I'm doing it. Starting today, I'm spreading the good news of Jesus wherever I go, wherever I can. And once you get done with that, I want you to dream the family members that need Jesus dream of the impact you can have on this community. I want you to dream of these four walls not being able to contain the people that we reach. I want you to dream dream in faith praise God like it's done praise God like they've already come back, praise God like they've already said yes to Jesus praise God like the school's already been changed I want you to dream, I want you to make that commitment I want to see what God does. So if, if you would, as a sign of surrender, would every hand go up and I want you to open your mouth and begin crying out to God whatever you need to say, whatever you need to do. And then I just want you to dream. Come on, church. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.